Let me just begin by welcoming our audience to today's webinar, which is Plan for Impact, Together We Can Rise. My name is Sharad Agarwal. I wear two hats. I'm the CEO of Cybergear and also the founder of OnlyWebinars.com. Uh, OnlyWebinars.com is a platform we built for having engaging conversations such as these. Uh, today, I'm also joined by five other amazing panelists. And I'm going to very quickly introduce you to each one of them. And later, I'll give them a chance to reintroduce themselves by telling their stories or sharing their stories with you. So we have two doctors in the house, by the way, Dr. Annalisa and Dr. Rihan. So you know we have an illustrious panel. Uh, so Dr. Annalisa is based in the US. Uh, she is the founder architect of yourglobalvillage.com which is a platform that enables profitable and personalized community building. She's also the founder of Insight, which is a dedicated organization uh, that provides practical data insights to SMEs. Uh, next on, I have Paul Dunn. I believe he's coming in from Singapore. Paul is the co-founder of B1G1. Hi, Paul. Uh, so he runs a business for good. It's a global giving initiative. And he has already created millions of uh, giving impacts globally. I'll let him expand on that just in a bit. Next on, I have uh, John Scott Turco, based in New York, runs in his own organization. It's called Humanix. He's a thought leader, a change maker, again, wears many hats. And he coaches CEOs on leadership and has been doing this uh, for more than 15 years. Uh, next on, I have uh, Philip Horvath, who's coming in from Berlin, uh, a man who's always on the move. Last time he came in, I remember, like 3 a.m. from Los Angeles. Uh, so mm -hmm. this time, I think, uh, suits Philip better. So Philip is the founder of Human. Uh, he's also a change maker, and he helps uh, startups, NGOs, artists, futurists, and scientists to understand the values and behaviors. And he's very big on culture. Uh, so if you need any advice on how uh, your organization can uh, lead, uh, he's your man. And last but not the least, uh, Dr. Rihan Kroc, who's uh, joining us from the UK. And she's an independent children's rights advisor with a doctorate from Hillary Rodden Clinton School of Law. So I welcome all our panelists. Uh, I know you have great stories to tell. And I would like to initiate uh, today's conversation by, uh, by a quote from uh, Tony Robbins. He's a guy I've been following over the years, and I love what he says, and I love what he does. So let me just kickstart by what he said. He says, what you get will never make you happy in the long term. Who you become and what you contribute will. I think uh, today's topic is about this. And I'd like uh, Annalisa to uh, kick off today's proceedings by sharing with us, Annalisa, how you are trying to make a difference while you are building your community. Over to you, Annalisa. Sure, thank you. Thank you for the introduction, uh, Sharad, and, and welcome everybody. It's lovely to be here again for our second um, fireside chat. So I, I'd like to pick up on what Sharad has said here on that quote from Tony Robbins. Um, what stood out for me in that quote is, is who you become. And um, just to give you a little bit more of my background, I think there are two things that, 
that shaped who I became um, and who I am today. And uh, the one is that um, I have I've been trained in economics, um, specifically in the field of development economics, with a focus on gender studies, and that has given me a, a bit of an analytical view of how things work in the world. And I've brought that into what I do now. The second thing that I think shaped me is the fact that um, I think I consider myself a multinational in that I've lived, uh, worked, created communities, created friendships in about, what is it, seven, seven countries now. Um, and that gives you a whole new perspective if you start really digging into different cultures, different ways of doing things. And I've brought this together in is, is a metaverse for entrepreneurs called Your Global Village. And it is shaped and it is formed around the concept of an ancient village. And that cho I chose that concept of the village very intentionally because what we create in that village is a place of safety as well as a place where we have a very tight-knit community. And we use that village concept to help others to rise um, in various ways. One of the, the ways that we do it is to really position them and promote them. Second way is to create the collaborations and the connections. And most importantly, perhaps, is we help them to amplify the impact that they have individually, but also as a collective within our village. And it is, it is um, guided by the Impact House. And that's why I'm so thrilled to have Paul here, because Paul is actually the patron of our Impact House, specifically because of the work that he's done um, in, the world, in, in the world of creating impact. So that's how we are helping others to rise in our community, um, not just within our community, but also using that collective to create that ripple effect outside of the village to see how we can really spread that. So I think I'd like to hand over to Paul at this point um, because oh. this is such a, such a great introduction, Paul, you connected with us. So I think it would be great if you tell everybody about the work that you've done. Sure. Well, thanks, Annalise. Welcome, everybody, uh, from wherever you are. I'm, I'm here live. Uh, yes, it's true, live in Singapore. Um, and I did something kind of weird today, um, because in a couple of days, it's my 78th birthday, actually. And, you know, you're supposed to celebrate birthdays. And I decided, why not celebrate every day? So I have an announcement, Shabbat, just really quickly. As of right now, I am 28,484 days, 12 hours, 7 minutes, and 53 seconds old. So I think that's worth wow. celebrating. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what that also means is my story is long. So I'm going to keep it really, really short. Impact is a very important word for me. And really, it hit me in 2007 when one of the people I was mentoring said, can you just imagine a world where every time, some, every time business was done, something great happened in our world? And just think about that for an extraordinary, you know, just for a moment. Like, for example, here we are on Zoom just because we're on Zoom. 11 kids are getting access to education just because of these tiny little things that we're doing. And uh, as of uh, right now, uh, I... Uh, uh, Shard, uh, we have created some 200, wait there, 264 million odd. I much prefer to say more than a quarter of a billion, actually. It sounds much bigger, uh, giving impacts in our world. And the reason that's really important as well is because very often, you know, there's a lot of stuff going around about being purpose-driven, purpose-led, and all that sort of thing. The problem 
one of the possible challenges with that is purpose can just be a really nice collection of words. That, that's one of the possible issues with that. And so when we lift that up to not think about, although purpose is critically important, but then when we give it another lift and say, well, okay, let's move from purpose to really existing to create impacts in our communities and the world and so on, then my experience is that everything changes. And that's one of the reasons why I'm thrilled to be here because that's what happens when we get together here. So thanks for having me again. Yeah, I'm going to pass. Oh, you want me to pass to someone? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, uh, he's probably the furthest from me right now. So why don't we go? With, oh, no. Philip, uh, you and I were talking about the fact that you have a new chancellor today, yes, in Germany. Another piece, you know, so in Paul, Philip, politics, purpose. Planet, you know, and, and I, I really like purposes. You know, dolphins are some of my favorite animals, but um, you know, I, I think if I'm going to take it with the planet word. I think this is one of the key things. I think you've already talked, hinted on that a couple of times a little bit. And when I was a kid, I kind of saw this planet Earth from space, and I was like, dude, we're on one planet, and I'm alone, and there's this whole in between me and this whole planet thing, and all this life in between, and this all seems to be life. And life seems to be becoming. I'm still coming back to that quote from Tony Robbins. And for me, becoming was around uh, sort of the reflection. I always say that this masculine and feminine path, where like the masculine path was looking into technology, right? Looking into the systems and how we structure things and how we how life structures itself and what frameworks we can see there. And then the feminine part was to say, yeah, that's all nice and dandy, but experience it, please, right? Like, what does it feel like? What does it mean to have these things? And what does it mean to be alive? Right. And so I'm kind of looking at life right now, where when we talk about culture, right, culture is something that's cultured, it comes from agriculture, it's what we practice and what we become, and what we create the conditions for becoming. And so I kind of focus on really looking at this idea of everything's a system, and I'm a system as part of a superorganism that is life, right, and in the system stuff goes in, stuff goes on, and stuff comes out. And for the last hundred years, it seems we've kind of focused on the stuff that goes in, right? Consumption and maximize me and supersize me and more in, 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 in. And we haven't really worried so much about the out, right? In terms of, you know, but our life seems to put more out than it consumes. So I think, you know, really it's about shifting back into this. How can we be conscious part of life again, right? And conscious part of creation again. And from the individual to how we do that together in the superorganism where we all have our pieces and roles to play and bring our individuality to it and you know have the collective environments where that makes sense and where we have cultures and leaders you know and maybe i'll pass it on to john scott on that note in terms of leadership and really teaching leaders to understand that when you create a business you are creating a super organism for life and it should produce profit in the widest sense not just in measured in kpis and monetary things but really be part of life and procreate life and create create more right become more and help us all become more. So, so I'll cool. pass it to so the cool. leadership. So cool. You know, it's, it's great. And um, I appreciate everything that's been spoken so far. And I think, you know, when it comes to leadership, I think there's, a, there's an interesting shift that's happened over the last two years. Uh, much of it positive in the sense that looking at things from a collective perspective, from the we, as you said, from the, from the singularity of us all together, has been a bit more adopted from people who I would have never imagined truly a few years ago would be open to the concept and understand that there's no work and then life and then the planet and then this. It's all an amalgamation of everything interdependent, as you said, in this organism. 
So I, I believe there's a shift in consciousness, which I think is tremendous. So a shift in global consciousness, a shift that's making its way to the business world in a really meaningful sense, in the sense that people are looking at their team, their impact is globally, looking at it all collectively and being more open to inputs from their teams, suppliers, vendors, stakeholders, internal and external. So I really see this as a catalyst uh, moment. I'd be curious to pass it over to Rian to give her perspective as well. Right on, John Scott. Great. Thank you so much, John. Um, and thank you so much, Sharon, for inviting me to this webinar today. It really is a, a privilege to be here. So as Sharon said earlier, I've, I've a long history of advocating for um, the human rights of children. I'm currently acting as an independent children's rights consultant, advising organisations on how to better embed a children's rights perspective in the work that they do. So when I consider the topic of discussion today, um, together we will rise, I consider the importance of leaving no one behind. And this most importantly includes children. So children, they don't have the right to vote or the same opportunities to influence the corridors of power, change things in the way that adults do. So it's critically important that we represent their interests and empower children themselves to be able to speak out and claim their human rights. And with two global emergencies currently happening simultaneously in terms of COVID-19 and the climate emergency, now more than ever, we must really rise together to try to affect positive change for each other, our children uh, and our fragile planet. And in a research, recent research I've undertaken, it is evident that many children globally are not faring well in the context of both emergencies with many of their human mm. rights being breached. So um, yeah, so I've been advocating with governments, international institutions and private sector organizations to consider all their decisions and their actions through a children's rights lens. And this can truly have positive outcomes for children and the adults they will become as well as future generations. Um, I've developed a children's rights way of thinking and principled and practical framework to help organizations better embed their children's rights. And this has recently been adopted by governments and public bodies all across Wales, also 43 children's ombudspersons across Europe. And it's recently been advocated with the director general at the United Nations. So, I believe sharing within and across communities can have a real positive ripple effect to influence what is happening across the corners of the globe, creating positive change for all our children and, and ourselves as well, working collectively across sectors. So it really is a pleasure to be here today, Sharon, and I look really look forward to being inspired by the rest of the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Rian. Uh, and, and, you know, while uh, we were just discussing a few minutes back, that uh, there's always, uh, you know, various uh, top 100 CEOs list that comes out from Forbes and other organizations around the world. And they are largely based on, you know, the incomes of these CEOs, and it goes like top 100 CEOs on the planet. Uh, so my, uh, my mind says that we should work on building a top 100 CEOs list in terms of what they are giving back to society ranking CEOs on their social responsibilities rather than just, you know, what they create. So uh, I'd love to uh, get John Scott's, uh, you know, uh, thought process on this. Should leaders be judged more in today's environment, especially after COVID, you know, uh, where we judge people uh, more on what they are doing for society rather than just uh, what they are doing for their own organizations? John Scott? You know, that's, it's interesting, Sharad. 
I don't think that it's a question of, is it, I think it's happening. I think that it's happening from communities. It's happening from employees and leaders. People are looking much more critically at where they work, how they work, with whom they do business. And on a macro sense, uh, to Annalise's point in the, in the meta of this, really, what is, what is the reason for being? Like, what is our reason for going uh, to work every day, literally to work every day? What is our mission while we're there? What is the company's um, real impact and footprint? You know, many years ago, a colleague of mine and I uh, got a, a patent for uh, the Energy Efficiency Index an EIN, um, which we, you know, we have. Uh, an algorithm that took organizations and their carbon footprint and what their gross uh, revenues were and their EBITDA was and put it through some uh, kind of pressure cooker and came out with a score. And the concept behind it is that people are looking at financial performance, but they also want to see what are the economic, what are the environmental impacts? What are the longstanding uh, efficiencies that they're working with. And I think that leaders have no choice but to look at this in a holistic perspective, or they risk alienating any of their team who's working from a conscious perspective and looking at the collective and, and the together we rise perspective that we're talking about today. I think it's an absolute essential leadership vector to consider and to make a priority. So I'm curious, Philip, what do you think about this from a cultural perspective as well? Absolutely. I, mean, I think this has been, yeah, absolutely right. I think it's been happening. Right? I mean, we were getting used to the idea of transparency, which was a trend that was there even before COVID, right? And it's just been accelerated by COVID. And transparency in the sense of we see each other now, right? I mean, Google knows where you've been and has your little devices and we have sensors and we see financial performance of an organization and we see impact of the performance and we see each other. Right. And so I think both from the, the input of an organization in terms of the employer branding, right, the best talent is going somewhere where they can do something meaningful. And they're not going to just go somewhere purely for money reasons in the future. Right. So there's been a shift there. And on the other side of the consumer side, people are more and more conscious of the products that they're buying, the companies that they're supporting with their dollars. Right. And so from both sides, that is becoming visible. And I think it's a natural thing that in, in the donut model and the you know, ESGs and things like that has been rising in consciously, you know, continuously going in that direction. And I think in the future, it's going to be a bit more of a very simple question. Are you like pro-life or contra-life, right? Are you adding to life with your company in terms of, I don't mean to, you know, bring up that other conversation, but in the sense of, you know, as your company, is your company actually forwarding life on this planet, preparing a future for our children, right? And I think it's so beautiful that you're looking at children and, and often Paul talked about the aging. One of the coolest things I know about aging now that is you can look back and like 20 years happen really fast, right? And from 20 years from <laughs> a baby to a human that's actually participating in society doesn't take very long, right? And what kind of conditions are we creating for this next generation, right? And really if our collective focus was on creating a world where every child has all the resources to unfold themselves to their highest potential and has loving and forwarding relationships and gets to work and service to life, if we are collectively focused towards that, then our organizations take different shapes as well and our consumption behaviors take different shapes as well and work behaviors. So I think this is where the business culture just simply reflects our orientation towards that. So I think, Rian, you know, thank you so much for, for working with children because I think that is the goal, the goal line. Uh, just to really say, how can we orient everything towards the next generation? Yeah, yeah. that's really powerful. Yeah. Well, I was just saying it's, it's very powerful, John Scott, and, and, and very, very powerful. And with uh, many of the leaders that I'm talking with, and particularly interesting enough, 
I, I think you're right that you know so much is is taking hold now, and of course things like COP26 have, have brought that even more alive. And uh, afterwards, uh, after that, I, I, there's a huge. I can only describe it as a huge uptick, where leaders are, are saying, you know what, my nine-year-old came home today, and said, will we still be here in a few years? You know, and so, so kids, kids really get it. It's that beautiful innocence that, that kids have. And I think they get it and they are influencing. Isn't that interesting? They're actually influencing the leaders by asking a simple question like that. So uh, I, th I think, Philip, you're right. It's, it's where the kids are exactly right. So, um, and the more they are, <laughs> Uh, together, and, and then, um, then the better it will be, I think. And, and you know, I, I think it was uh, Paul Polman um, uh, who, who wrote that um, uh, the, the, some of the economists now would actually be happily marching with Greta Thunberg in, in, in Glasgow, because what we're now understanding is that, you know, business for good is actually good for business, right? And there's this lovely lovely circular thing going on. So it's a, it's a very, very, very special time for all sorts of innovations, bearing in mind that we're now seeing the issues that we created. And there's some little people there saying, hey, listen, we need to fix this. So let's do it together. So I think it's a very special time. Lisa, you want to come in? Yeah, um, I'd like to pick up on, on what Philip said there, that we went through a period of um, transparency, requiring transparency. I think that shifted even further um, over the past two years. I think we moved from transparency to more um, almost combining that with introspection. It's not just what we are expecting of others, it's what we're expecting of ourselves now, what's important to us. And that brings a whole new flavor to everything. But in conjunction with that, I want to say that I think there's, it, it shouldn't be a, um, a black and white situation of, well, if you're only talking about the money side, it's bad. You need to only talk about the other side. It is a holistic thing. Um, you know, business, I do believe, is going to be the, the key factor that is going to bring change in the world. So you need to make money. You need to actually be profitable so that you can leverage that. But I think that's the key thing is, is how do you use that power that that gives you? And it's not just about the money. It's about how did you get there? What's the value you're providing? How are you giving back? How are you collaborating? So it becomes this holistic thing. Um, so we shouldn't throw out the money part, but it is how you actually move forward with it and use the power that it gives you and doing it in a way that you are really introspective about what really is important to you, what's important to those around you, and how do we build a future that collaborates those two things? So I think, Rian, um, I would like to hear how you see it from a, a children's perspective. How would they see um, this debate? Well, I, I just think it's what Paul was just saying then as well, just very powerful, just in terms of the inspirational kind of discussion that has been inspired by COP26 and those global thought leaders of young people actually driving mm. change, really mm. driving change in terms of speaking out and really engaging in a very mature way with the leaders of our world and saying actually 
now we need to be doing something. We need to be doing something right now. We can't wait any longer. And I think it is, it's a real moment. And I think all of us have been saying that on the panel today, that this is a real moment in time. We've hit two major, what I would call global emergencies, and people are really starting to respond to it right across sectors. And Annalise, as you say, that you know, we have to do this together. It is also about generating business, generating kind of income for communities as well. But it's also making sure, as John was saying earlier, that we, we really consider all the, the environmental impacts of our business decisions, the impacts on children, the impacts on, on everyone, the impacts on future generations. And then we can really successfully, as the topic of the discussion is today, rise together in a way that really improves people's lives, but we, we can create profit, profit as well. So um, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's very difficult, challenging times. And I've been really upset over the last year and the research I'm doing to see some of the really negative impacts on children. So I think it's great to be here with inspirational leaders like yourself and really consider how we can work together to create positive change. So thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. If I may just share this little story, you know, I run a portal called Go Green. I've been doing it for about uh, 12 years. And uh, how it started was I read in the local newspaper here in Dubai, which is called Gulf News. It said that UAE as a country had the highest carbon footprint in the world. And that got me thinking, you know, UAE is normally known for the biggest, the largest, you know, in terms of the tallest building, the largest mall and whatever else. And here UAE was a big culprit, literally the last in terms of offsetting carbon footprint. So I thought, okay, uh, what can I do to make a difference? And so I decided to start a portal called go-green.ae. I'll put it in the chat for those who are interested. It's been running for 12 years now. Uh, so what I'm doing here is running a Go Green Ambassadors program. It's a voluntary program. Anybody can register. We started locally first in Dubai. Uh, we grew in UAE, then in Middle East. Now it's gone global. So we today have 16,000 Go Green Ambassadors who sign up and say they have one hour a week or two hours a month to spare. So I've got this great database going of volunteers. And on the other side, I have organizations, nonprofits, and uh, even uh, for-profit organizations who need volunteers when they run different programs, such as on Earth Day or Earth Hour, or it could be a beach cleanup. So what I do is I post on the website uh, what events are happening and what uh, volunteers are required. And it is, uh, you know, amazing. People are joining in throngs, they are sharing their stories. And you know, one thing that comes across very clearly is that the children are taking the lead. And uh, Dr. Rian, you'll be happy to know that a lot of parents tell me that children tell their dads and moms, please close the light when you leave the room, please close your <laughs> computer, right? So I think children are involved, they are sharing their stories. And I also might refer to that great resignation talk that's going on. I, you know, dared last weekend to go through that whole report. And what came out quite clearly also is stunning that people now are going to decide which organizations they are going to work for, right? And one of the criteria they are judging organizations is in terms of what they are giving back. What are they doing to make this world a better place? So I think it's a wake up call for all leaders to, uh, you know, start doing things uh, that can be uh, seen by all 
and that have measurable impacts and that are put out on their website for all to read. You yeah, know, talking of transparent transparency. So or I would say all organizations need to have a tab on their website other than their profile, vision, mission, purpose, services, activities, themes. One tab which specifically says, what have you made, done you know, to make the world a better place? Do my panelists agree on this idea? Well, yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things one of the things that we give people, but you know it's 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 really interesting too, uh, because sometimes you know it's very easy sometimes to look at governments. Uh, Philip and I were talking about you know politicians uh, later on as to why they took so long to decide who the new chancellor would be, but there's some really interesting things happening. Uh, for example, in the United Kingdom, about 18 months ago, uh, what what happened was the the government said if you would like to bid for uh, to, to, for government tenders, then we are going to evaluate you out of 100, and we're going to, you know, like pass mark is like 83 or something like that, and 10% of, of those marks are going to be uh, 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 put there as a result of the measurement that you are making in terms of the impact, the positive impact that you're having on your community. Now, that was 18 months ago. Today, in certain government departments in the United Kingdom, that mark is not 10% anymore, it's 40%. So it's a 40% thing as you've got to be doing this stuff, which goes back to what, what uh, John Scott was saying, that you know, it, it, it's really, there are so many things now sort of pulling or pushing leaders to say, hang on, guys, you know, we're, we're watching what's going on here. And so there is really very little choice but to get him, get on board and do things, yeah. So, you know, I, I just think there's, as you said earlier on, John Scott, there's just so much going on, which is giving us the guideposts as, as to where we should be going. John Scott, I want to ask you, when you are talking to leaders, you know, to your clients, um, do you see a conscious effort uh, being made by them to up their image in terms of what they stand for? In a simple sense, yes. I think some of it is a... Uh, pull, and some of it is a push. Some so I think, push, yeah. uh, you know, some, some of them are reacting to uh, a bit of, of consciousness momentum within their organizations and community at large. And some are having to be led a little bit more directly towards those initiatives. I think what I said earlier is really uh, relevant because I think that what's happening is there's a tendency now to say, well, how does this impact uh, the team. So it starts out small, right? So it starts out, whereas, I uh, hate to reference our own webinars, but you know, our webinar yesterday, it starts out where, you know, we're looking at this as terms of I'm the leader, let me set the direction, the tone and make the decisions and, and everyone will implement what I do. I've always believed and my work is always centered around a collective intelligence and how going together is always a, way, a better way to go. I think now people who I may have had a bit more of a challenge with a year or two ago, are more receptive to that dialogue. So to your point, yes, I think people are looking at it a bit more uh, consciously. I think that there's a shift happening from people who may have not felt it was um, organizationally um, appropriate or they didn't feel as if it was something they had the courage to embrace. Because that's a big central point and theme of my work is leadership courage. I believe now the courage is really very clearly laid out the courageous path in terms of engaging your teams, 
driving innovation, new ways of working, and really being open to the collective and new ways of thinking. It's a, it's an easier and and less, I think, uh, intense decision making process now because I think the momentum for change. This is one of the things I hesitantly refer to as like the gifts of COVID. You know, there's yep. a the momentum of change, and I think that there's less risk for leaders to say, you know, well, what's a new way of looking at this? What's a new way of doing this? How can we engage our teams? How can we look at our community? How we look at our, our impact and where we are, both in terms of the communities, cultures, people, environments, so many, you know, everything. So uh, I think that's all in the mix right now. So I'm curious, uh, going back to you, um, how do you see this unfolding in uh, particular the market that you're living in now in Singapore? Do you see this from a leadership perspective and organizational perspective for you there? Oh, very much so. Uh, oh, yeah, very much so. Uh, you know, the uh, when when you look at, uh, for example, if you look at the SDGs, right, the, the global goals, the um, the sovereign fund of uh, Singapore said, uh, first of all, we're only going to invest now in impact-driven projects. That's what, that's what we're doing, right? And they've had that now for three years. They've also realized something interesting, which was, they, they didn't say this directly, but they said it sort of indirectly, that when the, when the people drove, designed the global goals, no marketing people were involved. <laughs> just these 17 numbers and they, you know, it's kind of hard to get together. So they've now done a little thing, I'll, I'll find a, a link later on, uh, where you can actually change, it, uh, change all the position of the goals around and you get it in an ABC format where A stands for active economy, B stands for, and there's lots of those, B stands for beautiful society. So it talks about gender equality, all those sorts of things. And then the C down the bottom, not surprisingly, stands for clean air. And, uh, and it's really very cool. So there's a lot of stuff there going on. Um, and we, you know, we see SDG things everywhere and so on. But interestingly too, I was in Lithuania, uh, Two years ago, you know, before flying was kind of verboten, and uh, I noticed, you know, at the airport, there's global goal signs all over the airport. Like, oh, how cool! So, uh, but I think, as, as you were saying right at the start, John Scott, that there is now this acceleration. At last, we're getting traction, and our responsibility, I think, is to just increase that traction and, 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 and lord it wherever we see it. And, and, and you know, understand as well that I, I like what Patagonia said recently, for example, you know, Patagonia, when you look at Patagonia as a, as a company, you know, here's the guy who developed 1% for the planet, right? He's, he's the guy, right? Yeah. And when you look at Patagonia, you go, oh my God, they've got to be the world's most sustainable company. With all their, you may have noticed last week, they said, no, 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 no. We are not going to use, let anybody use the word sustainable about me or about us because we've got to fix the issues in the, in the supply chain as well before we, can, before we can actually call ourselves sustainable. So what we're seeing now, I think, and you know, Paul Polman's book called Net Positive is a very interesting treatise in, in how you leverage all of this stuff from CEO to CEO to CEO to CEO, if that, if that makes sense. And I think that's, again, one of the really encouraging things that's going on right now. Matt, you want to weigh in? Uh, actually, I think you know, I love that we kind of ping pong back and forth between the external and the internal, right? Because I think John Scott set us up for both. And then Paul, you know, you could talk about how we can actually see these changes happening there. And I think the other thing we're also seeing it is on the internal side that there's now 
examples yeah, available of leaders much. who are no more vulnerable, who are, because of the situation, yeah. have to be more vulnerable. So it's okay to be vulnerable. And as a first yeah. step to courage, right? Before I can be courageous, I have to be vulnerable and I have to allow to say, I don't know, let's find out together. And I don't know. That's and beautiful. if you've seen more and more, if you look at, you know, HBR, if you look at some of the business publications, it's full of talks on empathy and full of talks on how to connect with your team in a real sure. human way. And there's a bit of a, conflict going on right now because I think the the aspirational self is more and more in that direction when right? people are saying we have to have a people planet kind of first company and then there's still also some natural stress behaviors so that when we fall back into our oh should I need to make my numbers kind of behaviors <laughs> and we look where we can cut cost right and so I think there's a bit of a discrepancy that's maybe even bigger than I've seen it in the past right because we have that new thing now and we all know we can't we can't say we didn't know Right, that we are impacting people on planet with our activities. So we have to at least begin to have that conversation, sometimes put down to the purpose word being a very bullshit word, you know what I mean? That happens as well. But at least there's that hope to go there. And now we have to figure out who are we when we're stressed, right? I mean, this is a whole final assessment center. So I'd like, who am I when I'm falling back to my default amygdala behaviors? Am I going back to escapism or to delusion or to blaming? Or am I going back to these kind of behaviors? And I think that's where the excitement, excitement tension is on an internal level right now. But what we really, and I think with Corona having sent us home to think about what we did, you know, I think it's been a lot of insight and there's not by chance that two thirds of employees have looked up purpose last year. And there's a great resignation of 40% are considering quitting their job right now because they are looking to say, I want to do something more meaningful. I can't say mm. I didn't, you know, I didn't know anymore. I need to somehow at least integrate that into my behavior. Mm. Oh, that, that, I love that. Uh, you know, that's a super point, Philip, on you know, courage and vulnerability, the link between those, super point. Very good point. Actually, it doesn't go to me that credit goes to Brené Brown. She's awesome when it comes to empathy. Oh, yeah, well, I'm Brené. The, the beautiful <laughs> Brené did write a book about it, yeah. But... Where she talks about how yeah, if we yeah, want to have yeah, courage, I mean, yeah. the first seven, even a lot of Navy SEALs and people talk about that as well, where they say, hey, dude, we don't, it's not that we don't have fear, Right. And we have to be vulnerable with each other. We have to say, I don't know. We have to say, I need support. And we have to say, can we do this together? Right. And this is, this is, I think, where we have more and more role models and examples that that's okay. Right. Boys are allowed to cry now. And I mean, kind of thing. Yeah. So, Anita, you want so to good. come in? Yeah. I want to ask I was go just going to say something really simple, which is people often ask me, you know, what's the singular point that I think uh, demonstrates uh, competent and, and courageous leadership. And I thought about this for a moment and it, you just sparked it, Philip, in my mind. I think it's when leaders say three words, which is, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's this push for leadership to be omnipotent. And I think there's permission, particularly in the last two years for this to be, this is a whole new environment for so many people. So they're grouping in maybe some legacy behaviors, legacy organizational um, issues that they're saying, well, let, you know, let's take a step back and look at a new way of doing this. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. What do you think? That's right. The, the, and the, the, the forwards afterwards, forwards afterwards, uh, what do you think? Yeah. So, so, and it starts with our yeah. children. I'll come back to Rianne here, right? Because it starts with how we educated <laughs> our children and how we uh, have been in this factory education model where we raise experts. And the one who knows the most, who has the doctor, not, not to dismiss that in any way, right? But who knows the most, who is the expert, they're allowed to say something about something, right? And that's how you rise to the top. And the boss has to know the answers because they're the expert, 
Well, and I think that has shifted now because that was kind of true in a semi-predictable environment, but it's not true in an environment of uncertainty when nobody knows. Right? And so this expert, we need now, we've trained our children to be experts and then later achievers who can drive KPIs. And now we need the next level of leader, which is a transformational leader, right? That can say, I don't know, like you're saying, John Scott, like we can say, I don't know, let's find out together, let's transform together, let's experiment who we could become, to bring it back to your quote from the, you know, let go here, Shrug. Yeah, just, I just want to, uh, yeah, go ahead, Dr. Rihan. You know, just to pick up on that great point, because out of um, a vulnerability does come brilliant courage. Um, and just in terms of kind of thinking about children, children have been speaking out on, on various issues across the, these two global emergencies that have been going on. And there was a child speaking at another webinar the other day with really big duty bearers, you know, from the UN down to other kind of advocates within their own country context. And they said they, they were so scared, so scared before getting on that platform to actually speak out what, about what they believed in. And then their message to everybody else was, if you're scared, just do it anyway. Just get up there and really talk about what you believe in. And I just thought that was so powerful coming from, that was a little 10 year old in Scotland. It was just really, really impressive. So scared of growing, right? Yeah. I'd also like to ask Annalisa, you know, you are building this beautiful community or global village. Uh, what is uh, the feedback that you are getting both from your members who are helping you build it and from the outsiders? What, what do they think about what, you know, you are doing? I know you're putting in a lot of time uh, into building this community ground up, right? When I joined you, I guess three months back, it was... Uh, the foundation was being laid and almost uh, every week I receive a notification from social media, Facebook, uh, from Annalisa, she has done this and she has done that. So I see you uh, building bridges instead of building walls. And I see you involving people, uh, you know, it's a curated community. So share with us, with our panelists and the audience, uh, what your vision is, where do you see your community going? What are the challenges you have faced building it? And what are the opportunities that you see going forward? Over sure, to you, Anneli. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for that, Sharad. Yes, indeed, it, it has been um, an interesting period of building from the ground up, but it is very much about, I, I come back to the village concept. Um, the village is such a beautiful term because it has so much meaning inherent to it. It is about the collaboration. It is about, let's do this together. It's about curating things that matter to everybody. And um, the interesting time that we're in is that there is just so much opportunity going forward. We have the technology, we have a new way of looking at life. We look at, at you know, I talked about the introspection. It brought up a consciousness for everybody. It's about building what we all believe could be better. And what the metaverse gives us is it just makes it so much easier because you can build whatever you want it to look like. You know, you're not constrained by anything. You're only constrained by your imagination. And that's the beautiful thing of it. And the feedback that we've been getting um, in building this metaverse is just that there's, a, there's this, almost a sense of relief of this is the way that life could look like and we can create it together. You're not held back by the constraints of history, your society, where you came from, your traditions. This can 
be what you want it to be. And I think that gives us all the space to start imagining what we want tomorrow to look like. And I want to come back to um, what I read in, in Ray Dalio's book. Um, he wrote this, this fantastic book called um, The Changing World Order. Now, it's a very sobering read, um, which really brings home the point that what we've seen over the past 500 years, those inflection points when things change, we're seeing it now again. But what he brought to the fore is that if you look at history time and time again, the positive outcomes came from those points where people came together to find what was the best for everybody. And I think that's where we need to go with this conversation with the communities we built, the, the aspirations we have, is to not fall back on our natural tendency of withdrawing and creating divisive uh, engagements, but rather to see what brings us together. What is that one thing that we have in common that we can build upon? It's not going to be perfect for everybody, but let's focus on that part. And I hope that, that just in closing on, on that whole point is what Philip said is there's an aspirational versus what we fall back onto. I really hope that we can all hold that vision of the aspiration has to absolutely be the dominant one that's going to pull us forward because that is what is going to change everything for the better for us and help us out of this crisis and into a world that looks very different. So, Rianne, I know you, you, you're nodding your head there. I, I think the children has a, that same sense of anything is possible, isn't that so? Sorry. No, definitely. I mean, that's very inspiring um, what you were saying there, just in terms of kind of reinforcing that concept of the global village and global connections and bringing everybody together. I think we're at a major moment in history, actually, in terms of the of history of the planet, sorry to be so very sort of grandiose, but we're at a real disruption moment. Um, and I think it's it's now is an opportunity that we can come collectively, collectively together to create real change and bring you know everybody together so thank you very much for that Annalise that was really powerful. It's already doing it I don't know if you know but the, the but the largest human collaboration so far is it's Wikipedia right in terms of the most people are contributing to it. The second largest is the manual to World of Warcraft that is yeah, a computer yeah. game and it doesn't matter where you're from it doesn't matter exactly how old you are it doesn't matter if you're a boy or girl right you have a username and you can participate and you can contribute. And I think that the next generation actually already understands that we, they now have technologies available to them that allow them to participate and contribute in society and create impact here, no matter where they are, no matter what their gender is, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their nation is, but they're already getting this. They're actually living in that world much more so already than most of the adults still who are like, hmm, do I have to do this through an email? Right? They're already getting you know, collaboration at grand scale much more than we do. And I think that gives me actually personally a lot of hope because uh, they, can, they make things happen right, in a much, much quicker way than us trying to make this happen for business or to, you know, politics, even worse, right? or for some of these very slow institutions. Yeah, and you, uh, made, like you, made the, you made the point there on, on the chat that it also is about failing. I think more and more people are understanding that the power of any idea is only ever in its implementation. So it's not 
it, you know, it's not sort of thinking about that. Like, oh, let's 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 try this. Let's try this together and just see what happens. Yeah, that that sort of thing. And I, again, I, uh, we're at this, you know, very exciting moment as we head into twenty twenty two. I think. Also, I'd like to uh, you know talk about a little bit about technology, how that is accelerating the formation of uh, communities. So as some of you might know, my day job is called Cyber Gear. It's an internet services company. I started a good 25 years back. And uh, what I'm uh, hearing from some of my clients is that uh, you know, their speed of interaction is increasing. Their speed of response is increasing. Because if you look at a typical customer today, oh, he can fast. shout out you know, on Facebook and two minutes later on Twitter, then on Clubhouse. So, uh, you know, leaders have to be very agile and very quick to adapt. Uh, so you cannot work at that old snail space anymore because technology has enabled people, right? Everybody is a journalist. Everybody has a camera and they can immediately take a photograph and it can go viral on social media. So I think it's uh, technology as an enabler has also uh, is, uh, is a double-edged sword in many ways in that organizations have to uh, wake up and uh, move very fast, you know, at the speed of uh, lightning, really, as they say, or the speed of thought, because it, you have to be faster than the speed of your clients, right? So um, I find uh, that's another big challenge. And also in terms of community building, um, I was talking to uh, a platform called RebelBase, actually introduced to me uh, by John Scott. And that's a great community uh, building exercise. What they are doing is, they are having educational institutions uh, uh, creating their communities on their platform and it's global. So you could uh, be an institution in New York and you could be connected to a university in Spain, for example. And there's a lot of conversations happening. So for example, startups uh, need a mentor or they need a VC. You don't have to source it locally in your marketplace. You can uh, get access to international communities. So I think technology is also a great enabler in terms of community building uh, and has created so many more opportunities and a lot of software now is, you know, plug and play, pay, uh, play, sorry, and pay as you go kind of thing. So you don't have to anymore spend an arm and a leg to get into the technology sphere. It's, it's pretty much available online, download, and you can use. So uh, I encourage our audience also to come up with any questions that they might have because we are close to the 60 minutes mark. I do want to take one or two more questions from the audience before we wrap up. But again, um, uh, let's uh, just go around the room and uh, I'd love to hear your closing remarks again on the topic specifically uh, on together we can rise. So what, what are your closing remarks on what you think we need to do individually to make a difference? I know all of you, our leaders, are already doing a lot, but just your closing remarks. And I'd like to start with Philip because you are uh, next on my screen at least. Philip? Sure. Um, I, I mostly want to invite all of us to do uh, this practice of really thinking about this paradox of separation and oneness, right? That we're all alone by ourselves. And if it's to be, it's up to me, right? Each of us is, is that center origin point of creating the future. And we are inexplicitly connected to everything else. Right? And, and so it is not an either or, it's not profit or purpose, it's not alone or together, it is yes and. Right? And I think really that 
rise of humanity rising together to a great extent is about rising together inside of you with all the paradoxical nature that we have and all the contradictions and all the humanness and all the you know confusion that comes with that but to really celebrate that and celebrate that as the engine of evolution right the diversity and divergence and chaos is part of what continues to improve the orders that we have here Great. Dr. Rihan? Yes, thank you. I found this really inspiring today. Um, I really have. And I think just what Paul was saying earlier as well, it's about, it's about seizing the moment and make sure you have the courage, that like Philip was saying, in terms of translating your ideas into reality and really making the most of the situation at the moment. But in doing that, I'm really concerned about um, considering about how all our decisions and our actions affect children and also future generations. So if we can encapsulate that way of thinking into these great business ideas, into this great global village that Annalise is talking about, then I really think that we're going to make a big difference. And I'm really excited about that. So thank you very much, Sharad. Sure. Paul? Oh, I, I, my big takeaway, I actually put it on the chat. Uh, thank you, Philip, was, uh, I don't know. I mean, I do know what my takeaway is, but, but you know, the whole issue of, I don't know, uh, what do you think? And I also have learned uh, recently um, the power of, of story. Um, and, and it was uh, Steve Jobs who, who said, uh, the storyteller sets the vision, the values, and the agenda for an entire generation yet to come. And in some ways, we think, oh, that's really cool because, you know, Jobs was a storyteller, a great storyteller. But sometimes we, we seem to forget that he was actually a story creator and he gave us new stories to tell. And I think each one of us working together, you know, together, just think about the words for a second, together we can rise, looking at that kind of interesting thing that Philip was talking about a minute ago. Um, and the reality is that together we can create, not just tell, we can create new stories, which and then help others to change up their stories. And one of the things that I, I absolutely know now, having sort of uh, every second word that comes out of my mouth these days seems to be the word story. I was impressed by uh, the only guy I think in the world who's older than me, Sir David Attenborough, when, 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 he, uh, when he looked at... Um, opened the uh, uh, COP26, you know, and, and, and he said that, you know, if, um, if by working apart, we can completely destabilize our planet, surely, surely, together, you know, we can do great things to rescue things. And by the way, in that, in, interestingly, in that seven-minute speech of his, he used the word story 11 times. And, and, and so I, I think it's understanding just from what Philip just said a moment ago, it is all about not just the telling, but the creation of the story and then doing that together with lots of different inputs and so on. So Philip, thank you for that big input on me today. I'm going to practice that uh, <laughs> tomorrow. Oh, what should we do? I don't know. What do you think? I think <laughs> so, so many more, uh, so many more things. And again, you know, the vulnerability, because it's, 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 I think it, uh, uh, it was it Dr. Rihanna who said, you know, someone said, you know, we were expected to be the experts, but that's no longer valid anyway. So again, great discussion and hopefully uh, of uh, value for the people. Thank you, by the way, everybody, uh, for, you, uh, for joining us. Just been great. Yeah, John Scott, and then we'll give the last word to Annalisa. 
Yeah, I think it's it's we've been saying this um, in so many different ways, shapes, and forms over this last time. <laughs> and I think my last thought on this is, I believe that courage is critical, but taking some action, doing something, I think that there's this uh, there's been a historical paralysis from a leadership and societal perspective as to hold back doing anything until we're absolutely certain that we play it all out. And Philip had touched on this earlier. And there's, you know, there's no certainty. What is it? All life uh, lies in uncertainty, live immediately. So I think that that, that really lends itself, uh, not, to, not to go too into my Seneca uh, quotes, but you know, going down that road, I think that this is a time for action. It's a time for heartfelt uh, mindfulness. And I think that leadership and hopefully the global village, uh, to put it that way, is embracing this reality. I really do think it's it's happening and it's up to us to continue to perpetuate it. Great. Annalisa, Plan for Impact yes. was your idea. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I, I have to hand it to you, Sharad. It was a collaborative effort, right? We came together and said, we don't know, how are we gonna do this? And that's what came about. So for me, the takeaway is if I take the theme of today, together we can rise. Um, I think the important thing is that we can rise part. First and foremost, we must believe we can rise. I think there's so much negativity going on around us um, of people pulling apart what is wrong with our society, this is not working. I think we should just shift that slightly to say, yes, there are issues, but we can rise. It's that can, we can rise. And if we have that mindset, that belief that that is possible, then the next part is, is that togetherness. Together we can create a new story that works for everybody. Together we have to come together to say we don't know. Together we must make this work for everybody. And that, I think that's why I love, um, Sherrod, what you've chosen as a theme for today is together we can rise. There's so much to that. Uh, but first and for foremost, yes, we can rise. We can actually get through this and make it better. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Sherrod. Thanks for everyone. Sure, sure. Uh, for yeah. doing it today, it was cool. Absolutely. Thank you, Annalisa. And I want to close uh, from uh, this quote by Deepak Chopra. Uh, he says, I quote, giving connects two people, the giver and the receiver. And this connection gives birth to a new sense of belonging. I was fortunate enough to meet Deepak Chopra a couple of years back in Dubai, he had come here on a book signing spree. And I asked him, uh, how do you define yourself? And he said, I'm a speck of dust in the junkyard of infinity. On that note, we will close today. <laughs> I want to thank all my panelists uh, for their contribution. I loved it. We have created great experiences, which we will cherish. I want to thank my audience for investing their 60 minutes with us and look forward to another edition of Plan for Impact. And Lisa, we need to get started on that and we'll announce it in the next couple of weeks and let's agree that we'll do it in January. So I wish you in advance a very happy and prosperous new year. Stay safe, stay connected. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, bye everybody. Bye Thank you so bye. much. Thank you. Good to connect, Dr. Ryan. Good to connect.